I got to take a rest after that. One day I'm going to play like that. One day. Woo! Gosh, I don't know where to go from there, Tab. Well, you guys have a good day? Five of you did. Great. Did you have a good day? Heard a story about a businessman that was on the way to work. He rode the bus to work every, every day, and so he got, up on the bu- he got on the bus. There was only one seat left on the bus. He was right beside an Amish man. Sat down beside the Amish man. They rode on for a while, and the businessman was getting off first, and he reached over and grabbed an umbrella that he thought was his, but it was the Amish man's umbrella. The um- Amish man looked up and said, Sir, sir, thou hast my umbrella. The businessman said, I'm so sorry, I thought it was mine, I'm not sure where mine are, here's your, thank, sorry, went to work. That afternoon, the uh, Amish man was, I mean, the businessman was getting ready to come home. He opened his cloak closet door and three or four umbrellas fell off the shelf. He remembered where his umbrellas were. That's one of those things, you go to work and it's raining and you take your umbrella, you go home and you forget it. And so he left them all there. So he loaded all his umbrellas under his arm. He gets back on the bus and there was only one seat left on the bus. (laughs) right next to that same Amish man. Went over and started to sit down. The Amish man looked up and said, Sir, sir, thou hast had a good day, hasn't thou? Well, I, uh, you know, some of you will catch on to that in a few minutes. Just keep thinking about it. I know it's a Georgia thing, but you're all right. You'll catch on. I, um, uh, two things I want to do. First of all, I, um, I, I haven't, neither one of these two things I've asked permission to do. Um, I heard somebody say not long ago, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. I don't think it's good theology, but um, in this case, I hope it works. Uh, I have a, on the red tablecloth table back there, uh, I have a a little list and I forgot to bring my fancy one and so I just kind of wrote it out. Um, I have hundreds of people on my prayer partner list and the more people I get on my prayer partner list, the better I preach. There's something about that. Uh, but um, there, are only, there are only 15 active United Methodist evangelists in the whole United States that are full-time general evangelists. And um, uh, if I ask you to do anything, it'd be pray for our ministry. And we used to, when I started out, I sent out a newsletter letter every month, then it went out to every other month, and then it went out every six months, and then I just stopped doing it. First of all, I had about a thousand people on there, and I, I couldn't afford it. It's costing a fortune. So I've gone strictly to email, and if you do not have email, I apologize. That's the only way I can do it. Uh, and if you'd like to be on my prayer partner list, I'd love to have you. We're also on Facebook, if you can look that up. But uh, there's just a little list. All you need is your name and your email, and I would appreciate that. Um, secondly, and this is a point of personal privilege, um, uh, the missionaries, there are a lot of missionaries, the ones that are listed in your brochure uh, have a special place in my heart. Um, Lynn and Betsy Phillips uh, are in Albania. They're here, but I mean they, they serve in Albania. And... Uh, Betsy was in my church. She's one of my girls. And uh, it's because, I guess, of me that she went to Asbury Seminary where she met Lynn. So I guess I'm the reason they got married. I mean, I could keep going on with this thing. And um, uh, Lynn's father is, is a retired pastor. And Lynn's father and I performed their wedding. So we're very close, although we don't see each other. I haven't seen them in forever. Hardly ever see them because they're always overseas. But I just want to share that with you to say this. They're right, by the way, raise your hands real high. I know this is embarrassing, the Dickens out of you. Raise them high. I, I, okay. Um, but I, I say that not to point them out above the other missionaries, but to know, uh, you need to know this, and they wouldn't probably want me to say this either, but I'm doing it. Um, uh, Betsy has surgery on Monday uh, for a hip situation. Lynn has surgery on Tuesday uh, for a uh, skin cancer on the nose that I had three months ago. Uh, Lynn will fly 
in a couple of weeks after that, Lynn will fly to Albania without Betsy because she can't fly because of the blood clotting situation. So she's going to fly separately back. So I say all that to say this. If you would pray for them, um, especially Monday and Tuesday, uh, they'll be in the a hospital in Athens. And if you'll pray for them, I would appreciate it and they would appreciate it. So thank you for letting me say that. Pray right now. Okay, let's do that. Shoot, yeah, let's do that. Father God, I thank you for my kids. Um, I thank you, Lord, that they love you so much. And uh, Lynn's going to go back and be the principal of a, a missionary school, and Betsy goes back to teach there and all the other things they do over there. Uh, they've got a lot of work still to do. Uh, they have a great influence all over that area. Uh, but Lord, they need to be healthy. And so we uh, lift up Betsy right now for the surgery that she'll have Monday. Lord, I pray your healing touch upon her. Uh, you're a great physician. You're a great healer. You can do all things. So we pray for that healing. And for Lynn's uh, surgery on Tuesday, Lord, uh, Lord, I pray that they won't have to go very deep. Uh, I've just been through this. I understand. I, and so I hope they don't go very deep. I pray they don't go very deep. And I pray that you make it totally, completely healed. By the blood of Jesus, we claim that healing, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me do that. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, please, to Genesis. By the way, while you're turning to Genesis 22, let me say this. The, the book by Ian Tom, Thomas, there's only four copies left. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Genesis 22, I'm going to read 19 verses, the first 19 verses. If you're able, if you'll stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God. Genesis 22. Sometimes later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. <clears throat> He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. <clears throat> this story actually starts quite a few chapters before this one. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, God promises Abraham he's going to have an heir. Abraham is 75 years old. 
Sarah is 65 years old. Ladies, do you understand? You hear this? You fathers, do you hear this? I love my grandchildren, all six of them, but three days is my max. 75 years old, 65. It gets better. He, he, he promises that to him again in the 13th chapter. He says it again in the 15th chapter. And in the 17th chapter, now Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. Woo-hoo-hoo. And then you skip a several chapters and you get to chapter 21. And Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And then to the chapter we've read today, a baby is born. A miracle child. Miracle child. I don't know if the, the days or the years were exactly alike, but I do know that it really means that they were way, way beyond childbearing years. And a miracle happened. Uh, I've mentioned Dr. Kinlaw several times. Let me mention him again. He loves to preach on this subject, and I've heard him preach on it many, many times. And I especially like the story he tells about this story, about Abraham being told he's going to have an heir at age 100. Dr. K says that when Abraham hears the story for the first time, he goes all the way to the end of town to Jake the Jew's furniture store. He says he goes into Jake the Jew's furniture store and says, Jake, I need a baby carriage. Jake says, Abe, what do you need a baby carriage for? You're an old man. You don't have any children. Therefore, you have no grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Why do you need a baby carriage? Abe says, you're going to sell me a baby carriage or not? He says, okay. So he sells him a baby carriage. Dr. K says, he takes that, he takes that baby carriage. He doesn't go on the back roads home. He walks down the middle of Main Street pushing a baby carriage. The curtains part. The tongues start to wag. What in the world? He says when Abe gets home, he doesn't take the baby carriage and put it in the back bedroom. He puts it right in the foyer so that when you walk in the door, you trip over the baby carriage. It's there. You can't miss it. And when somebody comes to visit in the daytime, he said, Abe, what in the world are you doing with the baby carriage here? He says, come here, I want to show you something. They go out on the front porch. They look out. He said, you see the desert out there? There is sand. You have no idea how many millions or billions of grains of sand. He said, one day, one day, God promised me, God promised me that all the nations on the earth will be blessed through my heirs that I don't have yet, but God promised. If it's at nighttime, they come and visit and they say, Abraham, what are you doing with it? baby carriage. He says, come here, I want to show you something. They go out on the front porch again. They look up in the stars in the sky. He said, you see all those stars? I bet there are millions of stars we can't even see. There are stars everywhere. One day, I don't know when, but one day God promised, God promised that I would have an heir and all the nations on earth will be blessed. There are a lot of words for love in the Bible, different words, especially the New Testament and in the Old Testament. But I can't find any word for parental love, especially for parental love. But there's something special about parental love. It's different than any other kind of love. It's the kind of love that if somebody were to come to me, or if even God would say, uh, one of your boys or one of your grandchildren is going to die unless you give up your life. There would be no prayer needed, friends. It would just, yes, let's do it. And that's what parents do. But here's Abraham, this special child that they've waited on and waited on and waited on, and they're old now, and, and all of a sudden they have a baby, a miracle. God, you want me to sacrifice that baby? In verse 1, it says that God was testing Abraham. It's the only place in the book of Genesis that the word test is used. So I ask you today, um, do you think God still tests us? (laughs) I hope so, because if he's not testing me at times, I'm not sure what it is. I think God does test us. And I'm going to say this. I believe that the reason God tests us, it's in order to bless us. If you pass the test, you get blessed. If Abraham passes the test, all the nations on the earth, in the earth will be blessed. 
But what a test. What a test. The only way, the only way that Abraham can pass the test, and carefully listen, he has to be obedient to God. He has to do exactly what God has asked him to do. And so if he passes the test, he'll be blessed. So he has to obey. Now, does Abraham obey? Yeah. Do we obey? Are we obedient? And before Abraham could be obedient, and here's the key, and I've, I know I've preached on this this week already. I'll probably preach on it some more because it's so important. The only way you can be obedient or Abraham could be obedient was to be in total, total surrender to God. Everything in his life, his wife, his child, everything. I know Abraham had some problems through all this stuff, but you've got to be you have to surrender. A friend of mine says, the prayer that gains the full blessing of Pentecost is the prayer of full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we can't be obedient on our own. It's impossible. It's not a natural thing. Uh, my wife and I have two sons. They're grown now with children. But, but when they were younger, not one time, and I can remember this, not one time did either one of my sons wake up in the morning before school and come into me and say, Dearest Father, it is my joy today to inform you that I will be obedient in thought and word and everything. I am yours. I, I will be. It's just not a natural thing, folks. Surrender has to take place before, before we can be obedient. Now, as I've read this story over and over and over, I kept thinking in my mind, I wonder what Abraham had to surrender, because I think he did, a lot. And, and I want to share with you four things. Now, I have no idea what Abraham was thinking. Some of it I do because it's, it's here, it's written. But let me share with you four things. The first thing I think he had to surrender was his intellect. Now, I don't mean by that you got to be dumb to surrender. Just the opposite. I think you need to be smart, okay? Uh, but what I mean by surrendering intellect, there are things that God asks us to do, or at least asks me to do, that don't make any sense whatsoever to me. Uh, am, I, am I? Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? When God says, I want you to do this, and we say, it doesn't you know, I'm looking, thinking about Abraham. Abraham's saying, God, you promised me I'm going to have heirs. And now you want me to kill the one that I've got? Oh, I know you can raise him up again, but why to go to all that much trouble? You know what? It didn't make any sense at all. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 says, God's saying, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. We think we're so smart. But every time God says something that wants me to do that doesn't make sense to me, I still forget. You know, I still forget, it seems like. We've got to surrender. Maybe I'll share this in length later, but I was a pastor for 23 years, full-time pastor for 23 years. God called me to evangelism. I fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. The reason I fought it, it did not make sense. My last full-time church was a wonderful church, growing like gangbusters. We were buying property because we, had, we didn't have room. I had eight paid staff members. Things were going super. Uh, they, they sold the, the parsonage because it was so old, and they gave me a very generous housing allowance. We built a house, a nice house. They, the pastor had a country club membership. Woohoo! Folks, I had it made. I mean, I really think things are going well. And God says, I want you to leave that. And you probably don't understand this, but when you go into full-time evangelism, the United Methodist Church, and you're a general evangelist, you don't get anything. You don't get salary, pension, insurance, housing. Uh, you get zero. The bishop says, yes, I'll bless you. Hope you make it. 
And so it did not make sense. I, I, I really studied this. I, I, went to, I went to clergy. I went to evangelists. I went to lay people, business people. And it's very interesting to me that my closest friends in the clergy said something like, hmm, I don't know, Tom. Next year will be a good year for moving. You'll get a bigger church next year. I mean, I just, and, and you don't have any security, you know, when you're out. But the business people, the lay people who knew me said, that's your gift. Now, you may disagree. Just keep your mouth shut. But that's your gift. That's what you ought to be doing. I am not a pastor. I'm pastoring a little church, but I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. That's what God's called me to do. George Barner says 91% of American pastors today claim for themselves not to have the gift of evangelism. And so, oh, so I believe I do. But, but it didn't make sense. I had it made where I was. There are things that God tells us to do that don't make sense, that if we pass the test, He'll bless us. I um, had a friend by the name of Brother David Acock. David was a was a great man. He died several years ago. <clears throat> he and I both went to Asbury uh, College, college back then. David is about 20 years older than I am. And um, he, he was at Indian Springs, our, the, my camp meeting, and he was on the board there. And um, I, I loved David Acock. I loved him. I, I, after he retired, he had, he had four churches at one time. After he retired, preached at every one of them. After he retired, then he, then he, he left that, and then he just kind of, he was just, he was in Uvalda, Georgia. Anybody know where Uvalda is? It's a wide place in the road. There's a Ford dealership there, and the owner is the only employee. And oh, they have a mechanic. I forgot about that, yeah. It's a, David never had a church probably bigger in attendance than 60 or 70 people on Sunday morning. He never did. All these little country churches all over South Georgia. Well, all of a sudden, the word came from Asbury College that they were going to build a new library, which they terribly needed, and it was going to be called the Dennis and Elsie Kinlaw Library. Well, that hit our hearts right away. And so, you know, they had these, your schools probably do the same thing. They had these regional meetings where somebody from the school would come down and they would speak on the, the millions and millions of dollars it was going to cost to, to make this this wonderful library. And so we went to these meetings, and David and Miss Polly, isn't that a cool name? Polly. Went to, that's a southern name. Miss Polly was there. And uh, Miss Polly told me this story afterwards, after David died. She said, Tom, you know, we've been praying about what to give. And folks, they, they, they didn't make any money, okay? But they were, they, individually, they decided what they were going to give. And so they came to that point of filling it in. They had prayed about it. They filled it in. She knew what she thought David was going to put down. David showed her the card after he filled it in. Miss Polly said, Tom, I almost passed out. I, I just about lost it. That's not what we thought. David had put down $10,000. This was, this was a faith promise. You understand faith promise? You know, if God supplies it, but you believe he's going to do it, you believe it with all your heart. And so that's what he put down. They go back home. David's just kind of sitting around. <clears throat> the Baptist church lost their pastor. You know, when Baptists lose their pastor, it takes a while to get them. You know, Methodists get a new pastor the next week. Not, may not be any good, but you got one the next week. But, but so the, the Baptist, everybody in Uvalde, there weren't many people, but everybody in Uvalde, there was only a Baptist church and a Methodist church. That's all there was. And, and everybody loved David Acock. And so the deacons came over and said, David, we don't have a preacher. <clears throat> I don't know when we'll get one. Would you come preach for us? He said, I would love to. And so that's what he did. He preached month after month. He preached 11 months every Sunday. Finally, they hired a pastor. About a week later, the head deacon came over and said, David, said, you didn't say anything about money. We hadn't paid you anything, not a penny. He said, no, I didn't want any money. I'm just, I'm just preaching. He said, well, we've got a check, and we expect you to take it for $10,000. Did it make sense to anybody? No. But God knew what he was doing. Are you with me? 
When God tells you to do, anybody here identify, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody here identify with me at this point that God has told you to do something and it seems so ridiculous? Maybe God's called you to missions and you say, there's no possibility. Or maybe God's called you to preach, or, or maybe God's called you to go on a short-term mission trip, or maybe God's called you to do this, or to give this, or, to, or give this much to the camper. And you say, it's impossible. Nothing's impossible for God. And it may seem ridiculous intellectually to you, <clears throat> but not to God. Folks, we need to surrender our intellect. We think we're so smart, but we're not. Secondly, I think maybe Abraham had to surrender his emotions. I think Abraham probably was pretty emotional about this decision, don't you? I am a very emotional person, extremely emotional. I, um, the folks up on the hill at the, what do you call that service? The what? Alternative service, yeah. I went up there because Betsy and Lynn were sharing up, so I went up there and I asked if I could pray for them, and I couldn't pray. I just started crying. I'm an emotional person. I cry at weddings that I perform. You do not want to be sitting next to me at a Braves game. I'm an emotional person. My wife, when we watch it on television, my wife leaves the room. I'm an emotional person, and I like emotions, and emotions are good. But listen, folks, you can't base your decisions on emotions. I have so many people come to me all the time, I feel, I don't feel this way anymore. So what? Yeah, but I don't feel like I'm saved. Are you saved or not? Emotions, nowhere in the Scriptures to say about emotions. It's not there. I used to counsel a lot of married couples. I don't counsel that many anymore. People would come in and say, I don't think we ought to be married. I said, why? You know, the feeling's not there anymore. I'd say, oh, yeah, let me look that up. I know it's in here. Hold on a minute. When, you ha- when the feeling's not there, go ahead and go, you know. It's not there. Some of you base feeling, use your feelings to make decisions. You can't do that. I love to preach to young people. I, three years ago, at my elderly age, I preached for the whole Great Rivers annual conference in Illinois of young people, 300 young people. I, I mean, and when I do preach to young people, I, I, I have a whiteboard behind me, and I, I, I like to draw a lot, and I'm terrible. I, I mean, I'm a terrible artist. I just, but one thing I, I share with them is that I'll usually draw um, a picture of a steam engine. And I know, you know, they're not running around everywhere, but they've seen them. At, you know, at our, in our place at Six Flags, there's a steam engine, you know. It goes around Stone Mountain, there's a steam engine, so they know about it. And, and then I say, there's a steam engine, and behind the steam engine, there's a coal car. And behind that is a caboose. I remember as a boy, boy, the best thing for me is to run out when the train comes and to wave to the caboosemen. Ain't nobody waving anymore to you. There's nobody back there. There's no caboose. But, but there's, a, you know, you have, and I tell them, I said, you know, Here's an here's a engine, here's a coal car, here's a caboose. The engine is vitally necessary. You cannot move the train without the engine. The coal car, you got to have. you got to feed the, the engine to make it move. The caboose, you don't have to have. And so I tell them, I say, you know, the engine is the fact that Jesus died for your sins. The coal car is the faith to believe it. The caboose is the feeling you get. You get saved one day and you feel terrible the next day. I'm not saved anymore. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You can't base your decisions on feelings. Are you with me? I think Abraham, his feelings, I I imagine his emotions were just going, you know, I don't know that, but I just, I got to think so. This is his only son. How is he feeling? Got a friend by the name of Bob Tuttle. Bob is retired, pretty much retired now, but he was a professor at Asbury Seminary on the Orlando campus. Bob knows that I love, to, I love to trout fish. I used to be a guide. People paid me to take them trout fishing. And we would catch 9 and 10, 11-pound trout. Honestly, I mean, it, it, it's fun. So Bob knew I liked to trout fish, and he was telling me this story. He said one time he was driving down the road, and he was going over a bridge over a, a big river, 
And he said he looked down and he saw, he saw a trout fisherman down there. And the way you know he's a trout fisherman, if, if the pole's nine or ten feet long, it's, it's a fly rod, okay? And so he said he saw that fly rod just go, shoom, just bend over double. He, he was fighting that fish. He didn't have a net. And he was trying to get that fish to the shore. And his Bob says, I pulled off the road to watch him fight that fish. He fought that trout. It was a good-sized trout. He fought him. Finally got him up on the shore and, and got him on the shore and took the hook out. And, and he got his knife and he gutted him right there. You know, put the guts in the river. And that's, that's organic. They'll, they'll go down. Don't get all shook up, okay? I mean, they, but he took all, he was going to take that fish home to eat it. So he took the guts out and, you know, fed the other fish with it. And he put that, he had a, 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 a a, a creole, a, a wicker creole, a little basket, you know, you put your fish in. And so he put the fish in the basket. Bob said, I sat there. And he said, all of a sudden, that creole started going, started shaking. He said, I knew that fish had nothing on the inside, and yet it was shaking that basket. He said, I got so tickled. He said, I looked up to heaven and said, oh, God, give me a faith that outlasts the wiggle. I want a faith that outlasts the wiggle. I want to surrender the wiggle. That when things are not going well, I still have the faith that I'm surrendered enough to the point that I know that I know that God's in charge of my life. Even if all hell is breaking loose, I want to I wanna have that faith. It has nothing to do with feeling. Thirdly, maybe Abraham had to surrender his fear. I wonder if Abraham was afraid. I think so, possibly. I know I would have been petrified with fear when God's asking me to do this. I um, had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Ghana, West Africa several years ago. Uh, there were a good many of us. It, it was so far up in the boonies. It, it was in Wa. The, the town's called Wa, W-A. It's way up in northern Africa, uh, northern Ghana. Um, very treacherous roads. We took nobody with us unless they had already been previously on another mission trip, had experience. And we had a medical team. We had two doctors. We had a dentist. And we had five nurses. And, um, and then we had a Christian education team that taught the children. And then we had an evangelism team, two or three of us like that. And we would go out from Wa every day. We'd drive an hour and a half that way or an hour and a half that way, an hour and a half that way in just different directions. No announcements or anything. We'd just set up our... Our place, if there was a little building, we set it up. If not, we set up a tent. The last day we were there, 600 people, 600 Ghanaians, without a loudspeaker, without billboards, came to see the doctors. We ran out of medicine, just like that. The nurses were triaging. They were saying, this one's not going to die. That one is if they don't get medicine. And we gave vitamins to these, and we gave drugs to these. Since I didn't know anything about medicine, myself and a, one of my, be, my best friend, who was a former district superintendent, um, we were in charge of crowd control, trying to get everybody in lines, and just it was just messy. The men got up front, the women were complaining. And we just had to switch everybody around, you know, and the men didn't like that. They, they're always first, but we didn't think they ought to be. Anyway, we did our own thing. And Jim came to me, and he had a little girl by the hand, a little Ghanaian girl, probably six-ish, six years old maybe, somewhere in that range. Her eyes were shut, totally shut, and she was crying, and around her neck was woven human hair, more went down her back. That was attached to when it went around her waist. It's called juju, it's a form of voodoo. That was to ward off evil spirits. And so we didn't know what to do, and so we, we took this little girl over to John, who's a missionary from North Alabama Conference, sharp young guy, been ministering, carried drugs in his, in his trunk to treat malaria with. Here's a young preacher. We said, John, we found this little girl. We don't know what's going on, but she's crying and won't open her eyes. He said, go find her mother. John, there's 600 people here. There's a mob. How are we going to find a one mama? He said, she'll be easy to find. She's the one that's frantic, looking for something. And sure enough, we found her. 
we brought her, and the, and the mother and the daughter just hugged and hugged, but she wouldn't open her eyes. She kept crying. We asked the mother, he said, through a translator, what, what's, what's going on? How long has this been going on? What's happening? She said, I don't know what's happening, but she's been this way for almost a month. She's never opened her eyes. She doesn't eat. She doesn't sleep. She just cries. I don't know what's happening. So the first thing we did, John said, Tom, you've got the pocket knife. Cut the, cut the stuff off. We cut all, I cut all the hair off. We anointed her with oil, and we started to pray. John started to pray. And as he prayed, I don't remember exactly what he prayed, but I do remember this. I'll never forget it as long as I live. He came to the place where he said something like, and in the name of Jesus, and when he said Jesus, her eyes popped open. I'm telling you the honest truth. Her eyes popped open. She looked around, and she started screaming and yelling, and, and it was, her mama started screaming and yelling, and they're jumping up and down. I mean, she could see, and she was just jumping up and down, and, and she wasn't crying anymore except for crying of joy, and, and we just tried to get them to calm down. Calm down. Tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. What was going on? So we asked the little girl through the interpreter, and so here's what she said. She said, I was so scared. You see, folks, the third thing is we've got to surrender our fear. Our fear. She said, I was so scared. It was so dark. I couldn't see anything, and I was scared until you said that name. What name? That name? Jesus. When you said that name... My eyes opened, and I saw the light, and I wasn't scared anymore. We've got to surrender our fear. Angel Davis, I love that name, Angel. Angel Davis is one of the greatest Christian counselors I've ever known. She's in my town where I have a church in Athens. She told me, she, she preached for me, by the way, this past Sunday. I said, Angel was saying, talked to me one day, and she said, Tom, she believes that the, the greatest weapon Satan has is fear. When I pray with people at an altar, and I do that every week, it seems like, either in my church or some other place, I hear more about fear than I do anything else. I'm afraid of what's going to happen when I get home. I'm afraid about with my grandchildren. I'm afraid, afraid about my relationship with my husband, what's going to happen. I'm afraid I might get fired. I'm afraid of whatever the people think. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Folks, if our fear is not surrendered, we're not going to pass the test. Fear has got to be let go of. And, and, and I know it's something you can't do on your own. It has to be done with the Spirit. But it, it's got to be surrendered totally, completely. It's got to go. I don't know what you're afraid of tonight, but I know this. In a group this big, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of fear. There's fear in a lot of your lives, and it's keeping you from moving forward. You cannot move forward with fear. You know, back in, um, in the 15th chapter, the first verse, here's what God says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very reward. So we know that Abraham possibly was fearful because the angel said, don't be afraid. The last thing Abraham possibly had to surrender was his will. Do you think it was Abraham's will to sacrifice his son? Jesus said in the garden, remember, it's not my will. Was it Jesus' will to go to the cross? Obviously not. Not my will, but yours be done. This may be the hardest thing, at least for me. I have a strong will. So often I want to do what I want to do. I've got wonderful plans for my ministry. <laughs> I've got plans for my family. I've got, but it's not my will. 
And I've got to surrender. We've got to surrender our will, the total, complete will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And say, whatever you want. You know, if God wants me to drive a truck next week, whatever you want. If God wants my ministry to go some other direction, whatever you want. If God wants me to do something I'm not doing, it's whatever you want. If, if, I'm, not doing, if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, it's what God should Are you with me? Are you at the place in your life where you say, God, I don't care whatever your will is. Maybe it's a relationship I have with a boy or a girl, or maybe it's this or that. Is it God's will or your will? Hear me. Is it God's will or your will? You have to surrender to His will instead of your will. That's a hard thing to do. It's a matter of faith, isn't it? Do we believe Him enough? Do we trust Him enough? I, um, I'm an outdoors person. Somebody asked me on a porch today or yesterday, I can't remember, if I was born on a farm. I said, oh, if I just was, I'd be okay today. I'm a city boy. But I love the outdoors. I love it. I, uh, scouts was my life growing up. I'm an Eagle Scout. I, I, I camped all the time. I hunt as much as I can get in the woods, I hunt. I, I fish as much as I can get on a lake. I love to fish or a trout stream. I lo- I, I'm an outdoors person. And so I've kind of, that's kind of gone over to my youngest son as we, he was growing up. My older son, he likes it, but not like my youngest son did. One day, I think when Andrew was probably about a junior or maybe senior in high school, he came to me and said, Dad, he said, Jim Pierce, Jim Pierce, they call him Jim Pierce, JP or Jim Pierce, he said, Jim Pierce and I want to go camping. I said, okay. He said, we want you and Big Jim to go with us. Oh, my goodness. When you're upper teenage son asks you to go somewhere, anywhere with him, that's, that's a real honor, folks. That's a good thing. And I said, okay, sounds great. Where are we going? He said, we're going to leave it up to you. Woo, that's really getting better. I said, you know what? I've, there's a place I've always wanted to go. I've even got a map. I planned to go one day, and I just never got there. It's up in the Smokies, up in, in Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains. And, and there's this beautiful, what I hear, there's this beautiful stream. And there are three or four different waterfalls, just gorgeous things. And there are campsites all along, along the river. And why don't we go there? He says, wherever you say, we'll go. I said, when are we going? He said, next month. Folks, it was December. It was December when he was talking to me at that time, which means it was January in the Smokies. Now, I've camped all forever, but, you know. So we had plenty of time to prepare for it. And, and um, in fact, we, we told Mom what we wanted for Christmas had to be with camping. You know, that's the best part of going camping is spending two or three months getting ready for it. Buying stuff, that's a cool thing. And we did, we, we bought stuff and we planned the menus out and we got it all done and the day came. Big Jim drove his Suburban, picked us up. I got in the front seat, the boys got in the back seat, loaded all the equipment up and we got in and Jim said, have you seen the weather forecast? I've already told you, I like the weather channel. I saw the weather forecast, it did not look good at all. So we headed up there. We got about halfway there and started to sleet. Sleeting pretty hard. Jim said, Tom, I don't think we can get there, but I don't think we ought to go very far up that river. I said, I don't think so either, but I've looked on a map, and there's a, there's a campsite not far off the road, and we're not going to have to worry about anybody being there. Nobody will be there but us. So we got there, and we, got un- we unpacked everything, put our tents up, Freezing cold, just cold. I, I, I just, we built a fire and tried to get warm, and, and it was about 5 o'clock, and we were, said, let's eat supper. And 
I got my little Coleman stove out and I turned it on. It wouldn't work and the, it had already frozen. The gas line was frozen. Couldn't get anything out of it. So we ate what we could eat that didn't have to cook. And I said, I think it's time to go to bed. It's about six o'clock. It was getting dark, especially in the mountains. But I knew we'd be okay if we could get in our sleeping bags because for Christmas, Andrew and I got new sleeping bags. Now, if you're serious about camping, you understand this. Sleeping bags are rated, good sleeping bags are rated for a comfortability range. And it, you might have a 50 degree bag, it means you'll be comfortable down to 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or zero or below zero. You can, and we had zero bags. And so I knew we'd be okay if we got in our sleeping bags. And we got in our sleeping bags. And I'd like to tell you we were comfortable all night. I'd like to tell you that, but we weren't. We didn't sleep much. We had two thermometers, one on the inside of the tent, one on the outside of the tent. Woke up the next morning, finally the sun came up, enough for us to get out of the sleeping bags, get a fire going. The temperature on the inside of the tent was 12 degrees. Temperature on the outside was zero on the button. I don't think I've ever been that cold in my life. We went up, saw one, one fall that was pretty much frozen. And we packed everything up and we jumped in the Suburban and headed home. Now on the way home, the boys were sound asleep. Jim was driving. And I'm over there just thinking. And I know this sounds crazy, but let me tell you what I was thinking. What did I do that night? And I came up to this. I potentially sacrificed my wife's youngest son, potentially sacrificed it to a sleeping bag. And then I started thinking, I wonder where that sleeping bag was made. China, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. And then I had this picture, stay with me, I had this picture of this little Chinese lady in front of a sewing machine. She had been there for 30 years, doing the same job for 30 years. Probably couldn't read English, but she knew the boxes in front of her, she knew what they were. 40, 30, 20, 10, 0, minus 10. But before she got to work that morning, the janitor was in there, and he was sweeping up, and the broom handle knocked the boxes on the floor. And he tried to pick them up, but he just got them all mixed up. And what if, instead of a zero bag, it was a 40-degree bag? <laughs> I know that's just stupid, but what I'm saying is that if I can trust a little lady, Chinese lady that couldn't read English, with my son's life, why can't I trust God who knows everything about me, who knows every thought, who knows every anxiety and every fear? Why can't I trust God to take care of me in any situation? Scripture says, next morning, Abraham saddled up his donkey and went. Are you ready to go and follow him? Are you ready to, to surrender everything? We're getting close to the end of camp meeting. We're on the downward side. It's time, I think, for us to say, God, I'll surrender. I'll surrender what doesn't make sense. I'd like to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to do it. I wonder how many people are saying, yeah, I know God's asked me to do something. Maybe he's asked me to talk to my friend about Jesus, and I'm scared to death. It doesn't make any sense because he won't be my friend after that. What if God's really saying that? What if God's saying you're to forgive somebody that you haven't forgiven yet? But it wasn't my fault, you know, but are you with me? Some things don't make sense, and God asks us to do it, and we're still supposed to do it. Some of you are saying, it just doesn't feel right. Tonight doesn't feel like I ought to come forward. It just doesn't feel right. So what? So what? Do you worship when you feel like it? Some of you do probably. 
And you don't worship when you don't feel like it. That's not scriptural. You just, you obey, you surrender. And this fear thing, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I promise you there's a lot of fear. It's time to surrender it, to surrender it. And lastly, are you sure you're in God's will? Are you doing what He's asked you to do? I love Abraham. I want to be more like Abraham. He's called the father of the faith. I want to be like that. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I thank you that um, we are here tonight because you want us to be here. Every person. And Lord, I pray that tonight as you speak, and I believe you've been speaking because when I've called out a few things, I'm sure they've clicked in some of our minds. It's something you're hanging on to, something you shouldn't be hanging on to that needs to be surrendered. And so, Father, I pray that tonight this would be a night where we say, I surrender all. I don't want to hold anything back. I want to give you things that don't make sense. I want to give you things that just are a feeling. I want to give you my, I want to give, I want to make my will your will, your will my, I want to be totally with you. I don't know how to do that, but I want to do it. I want to do it. And guys, I promise you that if you say you want to do it and you will do it, God will meet you there. He'll enable you to do it. You say, what if nothing happens? What if, what if I go home and, I, and, and I'm not surrendered again? And you just, let's worry about tonight, okay? You know, we'll pray that God will, will go with you and, and continue to help you to surrender. It's a continual thing. You can't surrender once and expect to be surrendered tomorrow. It's a, it's a daily thing. I surrender it all today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. What if I make a mistake? Then you keep surrendering. You dare not leave these grounds with things not surrendered. I know it's a scary thing for some of you. I understand that. You could lose friends. You could lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You could lose, you could just lose your reputation. It might be embarrassing. But you will never pass the test unless you surrender. You can't be obedient without surrender. And that's what God's called us to do, is to be obedient. So, Father, I just pray that you'll speak to us tonight, as you already are, and that we will tonight say, yes, I am surrendering that particular thing I'm thinking about. And maybe there's something I'm not even thinking about I don't even know about. Sometimes I, I, I get down and pray, Lord, I'll surrender to you what I don't even know I haven't surrendered. I want to be totally, completely, 100% yours. I want to surrender it all. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' precious name. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing that. Tab's going to lead us. If you want somebody to pray with you, you come right quickly. Don't, do not hesitate. God's speaking to you now. Let's get down here. Let's pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, raise your hand. Otherwise, you'll be left alone. We'd love to pray with you. But if you don't want anybody, that's fine. So I invite you to come, please. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him saying what you're singing if you're not surrender don't sing it surrender all don't be hypocritical if you've surrendered all go ahead and sing blessed Savior I surrender all all to Jesus I surrender at his feet.
Worldly pleasures are forsaken. Take Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. We're just going to sing a couple more verses. You come if God directs you. the musicians to keep playing and we're gonna we're gonna close this formally but uh, we're not closing this altar at all uh, we're gonna leave this open you can stay you folks that are here stay as long as you need to stay again if folks want to come here if you want to come here while everybody else is going that direction we invite you to come we're gonna stay around for a while we want to stay all night we can stay all night uh, but I believe God's still working in some lives tonight we're gonna make sure that everything is surrendered Father, we thank you for your moving in among us. And Lord, we, uh, we believe you're here. We believe you're speaking to us. We want to be obedient. And we know the only way we can be obedient is to surrender. So, Father, I pray that everything in every person's heart will be totally, completely surrendered tonight. Sometimes it takes some time. I understand that. But let's, let's, let's just make sure we do the business God wants us to do tonight. We invite you to come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Stay as long as you want, folks. No rush. <laughs>